Our culture struggles with the concept of commitment, and I suppose there are a number of, of different things that we could look at that are a reflection of that. And I'm not entirely sure if it's more of a struggle with just a, a lack of commitment itself or, or actually over-commitment. I suppose you could make a case that, that even organizations and businesses realize that we lack commitment in general. You probably were aware of this the last time that you signed up for a new cell phone agreement. There was some screaming deal, but along with that deal, just about any cell company nowadays requires a, a year-long or a, a two-year commitment. Why is that? Because they know that if there's not some sort of commitment from you, you will jump ship at the next latest, greatest deal or offer. You see it too, I suppose, in, in the offer of like seven-day, 14-day, 30-day free trials. Well, yeah, I suppose you could assume that the company is convinced that if, if you spend that time with their product or their streaming service, that you will be so won over that you will willingly fork over whatever change is necessary to continue it. Or they recognize that as good of intentions as you might have of canceling that, as committed as you might be to say, I'll try it out and then just cancel it, they know there are a certain percentage of individuals that are going to forget or not follow through with that commitment and then possibly for months, even years, be unknowingly paying that subscription that they aren't even uh, aware of or appreciating anymore. You see it elsewhere. You see it in marriage and divorce in our culture today. You can't drive very far around San Diego without seeing a billboard advertising some divorce lawyer. Business is good. And I don't need to tout whatever divorce statistics are out there because they're skewed in a day and age where fewer divorces might be happening because fewer people are actually getting married in the first place, which also demonstrates a lack of commitment. So there's plenty of evidence that we lack commitment. There's also more than enough that we overcommit to things. We have not learned that lesson that just as there were decades and generations ago, there's still only 24 hours in a day, and yet we say yes to increasingly more events and activities and commitments without considering that eventually we only have so much time in a day that we're going to drop the ball on some of those commitments. Even if we think to ourselves that it's just one more little commitment. If you have little children who play sports, you may have been caught off guard by this. Oh, we'd love for Junior to play this sport. It's just one day a week of that sport. And then you realize quickly that it's a much bigger commitment than that. It's multiple practices each week. There's equipment that needs to be purchased for that sport. Oh, are you going to be a, a team mom? Are you going to sign up for snacks one day? Are you going to get a gift for the coach? Is there going to be a party at the end of the year? And you realize this one little commitment was much larger than you maybe anticipated in the first place. And yet we continue to add more commitments. Whether it's a lack of commitment or overcommitment, it shouldn't shock us that that has crept into our relationship with Jesus, that, that in the church we struggle as Christians with commitment. And so as we see Jesus, as we heard him in the gospel this morning, we see uh, uh, an opportunity, an example for us to reflect on, on our commitment to Jesus. And as, you, as we reflect and kind of walk through this gospel account and the three exchanges or interactions that Jesus has, we might refer to each one of those in its own case, in its own way, 
as a commitment killer. And while there are probably seasons of life where one or another might apply to us more than, than others, kind of like the parable of the sower and the seed, where, where different seasons of life, that seed and where it falls could, could represent each of us at any given moment. There is probably one of these three commitment killers that speaks to us a little more clearly. And that's the first step, is being able to identify what is hindering, what is the obstacle that is getting in our way of a deeper commitment to being a disciple of Jesus. What are those three commitment killers that we'll see in these individuals? Well, the first one we might, we might call nice versus sacrifice. The second one, Division versus devotion. And the third one, past versus present. Notice that this first individual that approaches Jesus, he was unprompted. He was the one that came to Jesus. Jesus had not called out to him. And we see this first commitment killer in verse 57 and following. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We can't blame the individual for wanting to follow Jesus. Surely word had spread about the impacts that Jesus' life and ministry was having on other people. It sounded nice. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Doing good, making a positive impact in other people's lives and meeting their needs, changing, transforming their lives. That all sounds nice and well and good. But notice Jesus' response to the man wasn't simply, all right, fall in line and let's get after it. Instead, he pointed out, hey, the, the foxes and the birds have a place to call home. But you know what? I don't. I don't have my own bed. I don't have my own room. I don't have my own roof to stay in. What was Jesus saying? But count the cost. Consider what you're getting into. Realize that what sounds nice involves no small amount of sacrifice. And if that was the case for Jesus, then it should be expected of any of his followers as well. And this speaks to us because we know uh, what draws us to being involved or participating in a local congregation. It sounds nice. might be a, a nice place where my friends go or where I can socialize or meet new friends. Maybe I'm in a season of life where I have certain needs and, and that congregation just meets them and it all sounds nice. Maybe it's a, a place to, to make a difference. Maybe it's simply a nice place to hear a nice, encouraging, uplifting message from time to time and it all sounds nice. And then we realize that that nice also includes sacrifice. And maybe we didn't always count the cost when considering what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Suddenly, what was nice, an, an opportunity to make an impact and make a difference in people's lives, a, as I continue adding other commitments into my life, now this just seems like one more demand on my time and energy to have to serve at church. And that commitment that requires being invested and, and, and involved, it sounds nice, but when it requires the sacrifice of, of actually dealing with a brother or sister that means forgiveness and reconciliation instead of forgetting and leaving, that's real sacrifice. And it suddenly loses its luster. So that's a very real potential commitment killer if we don't weigh the, the difference between what sounds nice 
and the reality of sacrifice. The second commitment killer was an individual that Jesus called out to in verses 59 and following. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this almost sounds downright cruel on the part of Jesus. A man just wants to bury his dead dad, and Jesus says, no, we don't have time for that. What was the concern that Jesus had? The matter of being divided versus devoted. Jesus was making a a serious point here about the the level, the degree of commitments that it takes. That if we think that it can be Jesus and anything else, then we better reevaluate that commitment to following Jesus. He is looking for all-in disciples, not not part-time when it's convenient or when we can squeeze him into our busy schedules. It's been shown repeatedly through studies and uh, other, other means that this idea that is still a popular thing today of multitasking is not the most effective way to get things done. We're constantly looking for hacks and shortcuts, but time and again we have seen that, that multitasking actually just means that you might get multiple things done poorly. The best way is still to focus and give your time and energy and attention to one thing at a time and do it well. And yet we we think that we can have it both ways when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, our commitment to him, that we can be divided rather than devoted. I can have Jesus and have what all my friends of the world have. I can have Jesus and the stuff that the world values. I can have Jesus and anything else means that we are divided not devoted. Jesus says, me first, everything else second. And if we don't consider that difference between being divided and devoted, we are in for a rude awakening when it comes to the reality of what Jesus is looking for in committed disciples. The third commitment killer, the final one, is the last exchange Jesus has in verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Past versus present. Jesus' point here was that you cannot be caught up in reminiscing for or over or or longing for the glory days when everything was wonderful, when everything was far better than it is today, and expect to to be involved to make a difference in present and future ministry and personal growth as Jesus calls us to as his disciples. If I am caught up in the past, then what good am I in the present? On your way home today from church, as you get into your car and you're driving from church to home or wherever your, your next destination is, go ahead and try this out. Try the, the whole way driving looking in your rearview mirror and see how far you get. I don't actually try that, by the way. You know that it's going to result in either running into somebody else or off the road because you can't be focused on the past and what's behind you and still move forward. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, that we always have this tendency to think that the old days were the better days, the good old days. If you actually want to compare, if you want to stay stuck in the past, then let's focus on what the past looked like in terms of commitment within a Christian congregation. I'm talking about the days where commitment meant that worship was an every Sunday thing instead of, I'll be there when I can. I'm talking about the good old days, right? Remember those? The good old days when we needed to keep up the the church and the school and take care of things by rolling up our sleeves and putting in a little sweat equity instead of writing a check and paying somebody else to do it. Remember that kind of commitment? So if we want to compare the past to the present, just be cautious. As we consider all of these commitment killers... It weighs heavily on us because we understand very quickly that if our relationship with Jesus, if our eternity rests on or is dependent on our commitment to Jesus, none of us, not one of us, will measure up. In fact, the only conclusion that we can draw is that our deluded commitment to Christ deserves nothing but condemnation from Christ. But you know, and and even heard it in the gospel this morning, that that's not what you get from Christ. Instead, what you get is full, unwavering, devoted commitment from Christ to you. Luke demonstrated that in the very first verse of our text this morning as he was setting the tone for this exchange with these three individuals. In verse 51, Luke tells us, at the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely is a word that we could exchange for commitment. Jesus was committed to going to Jerusalem. Jesus was committed to you. Jesus was committed to being ridiculed and bullied. Jesus was committed to suffering excruciating pain. Jesus was committed to dying. Jesus was committed to being condemned himself in your place. Jesus was not concerned more with what was nice. Jesus' attention and focus were not divided. Jesus was not caught up in the past thinking of the good old days where there was no talk of suffering and dying. There was none of that from Jesus. He was perfectly and completely committed to you and to me and to our salvation. And because He was, you don't ever have to fear any of the lick of the flames of hell. You don't ever have to be afraid because of His commitment to you, not your commitment to Him, of being abandoned by the Father. And not your commitment to Him, but His commitment to you is why you don't have to worry or doubt or ever be concerned about if your name is written in the book of life and there is a place for you at home in heaven because Jesus was committed to you. And that alone is what is going to make any committed followers to Jesus. We can't commit to Him on our own. We oppose Him and want nothing to do with Him, but the power of God's Word, the power that it possesses, not only points us to his commitment to us, but also then works in us a faith-filled commitment to him. A desire to be 
his devoted disciples, not divided. A desire to be willing to sacrifice, not just look for and pursue what's nice. A desire to be in the present with an eye toward the future of the ministry that he calls us to, not to be stuck in and caught in the past. Always longing for the good old days. The power of God's word creates in us, as Jesus said, makes us fit for the ministry, the kingdom work that he has called us to. What kind of a difference might that make? Sometimes the, uh, a distinction is made, whether you like it or not, I don't know, but it's been offered there. Different levels of, it's been called conversion, or we could call it commitment for the sake of our theme today. That the first step or first level of conversion or commitment is a, a commitment to, to Christ, and then the second level is a, a commitment to the church. And the third level, a commitment to his cause. Where are you on that spectrum? Is there a commitment to Christ that says, I'm a believer, but I don't need the church. I can watch from home. I don't need to be involved or engaged in the ministry of the church or serving my neighbor in that way. Or are we at that next level of commitment that says the church is the place where, where God equips me to use my gifts and service to build up his kingdom and serve others? And then beyond that, from that step to say, wait a minute, my mission is not just limited to the local church, but to serve my neighbor in my community and in the workplace and to be involved in ministry even outside my local congregation. Which level of commitment are you? And what would it look like to just take one step from where you are to a deeper commitment as a disciple of Jesus? What impact would it make in the local congregation? What difference would it make in the community? It excites me to, to think about what it would look like when we choose sacrifice over nice, when by God's grace we choose devotion over division, when God's word, powerful as it is, equips and creates in us a desire to be committed to the present and future kingdom work and not caught up in the past. I'm excited to, to see what that kind of deeper commitment, what it might look like and what those results might be. Are you? Amen. <laughs>